Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much, Gary, for, for uh, leading us and for what you do from behind the scenes and all the rest of the team. I add my thanks to our volunteers. They're just amazing, amazing people that give so much. And so I jump in and find a way to engage in, in serving and let us know how we can help you in that process. Um, also, a reminder, uh, tomorrow starts Pastor Eric, our other co-lead pastor, his sabbatical. Now, this is a new thing here at the chapel. So some people are like, well, oh, what's wrong? What's going on? Really? No, it's actually a positive thing. It's a proactive thing to give um, our pastors every six years just uh, some time to, to breathe and to rest, and it's much needed, and so uh, we're excited for he and Paula and their family to have that time away, and they'll be back to join us, ready to go and rejuvenated, and so over the next weeks, if you, you've got a need, and if you're going to reach out to Pastor Eric, uh, just reach out to one of us, and we will help uh, meet that need and uh, work together, but thank you for, for being uh, an awesome, supportive church family. Um, We are in the Gospel of John, and uh, like Gary said, and week by week we've been looking at the the life of Christ and and learning more about who Jesus is and all that he did and what that means for for us today. And today we step into John chapter 11, and the very first verse that we're looking at is John 11 verse 45. And so if you have a Bible and you want to open there, you can do that or on your smartphone, or we will have... Uh, most of the verses on the screens for you as well. But John chapter 11, beginning in verse 45, and here's uh, what the text says. It says, Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. So the question is, well, what was the this? Well, it's what we read about uh, in the first half of John chapter 11. In fact, on Easter this year, if you were with us for our Easter services, We focused in on John 11, those first verses, which really is the account where there's a tragedy. A man named Lazarus, who was a close friend of Jesus, had died. And and, uh, Mary and Martha, who are Lazarus' sisters, uh, are begging Jesus to come, and he doesn't show up until really too late, at least they think. And they both approach Jesus with their doubts and their their, honestly, their, their, their anguish and their anger. And, and they're like, Jesus, if only you were here, you could, have, you could have done something to help our brother. And we saw uh, in, in those opening verses of John chapter 11 how Jesus responds to both Mary and Martha. To, with Mary, Jesus responds with his presence. And we, we come to the shortest verse in the entire Bible. It says, Jesus wept. What a response. Jesus just just weeps with them over the loss, which was a reminder to us that when we weep, Jesus weeps with us. But then with, uh, with Martha, Jesus gives another response, not just his presence, but a promise. And that's what we looked at at Easter. And, and Jesus' promise to Martha and to us is this. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. So what we just finished singing about, the resurrected one is resurrecting us, right? Uh, He said, I am the resurrection and the life, and anyone who believes in me will live even after he dies. Jesus was speaking about eternal life that can begin in the here and now, and that no matter what life brings us, and even when death comes, those that put their faith and hope in Jesus will continue to live. And then he looks at And Martha, and he says, do you believe this? And and we said on Easter that that's a question not just for Martha, that's a question for all of us. 
And as we come to chapter 11, verse 45, we just saw that many people believed when this had happened. That is, when they heard about what happened with Lazarus, and then Jesus actually goes to the tomb and raises Lazarus from the dead. He does a, a miraculous work, and, and people believed, but not everyone believed. Look at what verse 46 says. It says, but some, some went to the Pharisees, and they told them what Jesus had done. That is, that Jesus had performed this miracle and raised Lazarus from the dead. Verse 47, then the leading priests and the Pharisees called the high council together, and they asked a question, what are we going to do? They said, this man certainly performs many miraculous signs. When they should have been making it about Jesus and the miracles that had happened, the religious leaders make it about themselves. What are we going to do about this? And he's doing all these miracles, and these were miracles that they could not deny, right? We've learned in the Gospel of John that the miracles have a purpose, right? Uh, the English Greek lexicon says a sign, a miracle, is an event which is regarded as having some special meaning, something which points to a reality with even greater significance. And so every time that Jesus performed a miracle, it was for a purpose. And that purpose was not for the miracle's sake. It was to point to Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior, that, so that people would believe. And while some believed in this instant, the religious leaders, the ones that should have believed, didn't. In fact, they rejected Jesus, and they're, they're concerned about what it's going to mean if Jesus continues to get all of this power and press. In fact, they say in verse 48, if we allow him to go on like this, soon everybody will believe in him. And then their fear, then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. You see what was happening here? The religious leaders, they had created a, their own little kingdom for themselves. It was a kingdom of power. It was a kingdom of control. It was a kingdom of religious activity that many times was void of the very presence of God. And they were worried that if Jesus got too much attention, the Roman government would turn on them and it would be the end of their little kingdom. They make it about themselves, as, as, as can happen in all of our lives. And so we come to verse 53, and it says, So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. Their way to deal with Jesus was to get rid of of Jesus. And, and, and Caiaphas, who was the high priest at the time, verse 49 says, uh, said to them, you don't know what you're talking about. That is, he was saying, you don't have to worry about the Roman government coming after us. And then he said these words, you don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the entire nation to be destroyed. Isn't that a profound statement that Caiaphas makes in this moment. I think Caiaphas was looking at the, the kind of the landscape of what was happening, 
And while all the religious leaders are worried about the Roman government now turning on them and coming after them, he says, you don't understand, that's not going to happen. It's better for one man to die. That is, it's better for Jesus to just be executed. We'll get rid of him so that we don't have to worry about the Roman government. He says it's better for him to die than for for the whole nation to be affected. But it's interesting because God was one step ahead of Caiaphas, even in Caiaphas' own words. It says, John records, he did not say this on his own. In fact, as high priest at the time, he was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation. And not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. Caiaphas had uttered some words that I don't think he fully understood the meaning of. It leads us to a bottom line truth for this weekend, that through the death of one, we have won. Can you say that with me? Through the death of one, we have won. One more time. Through the death of one, we have won. I want to tell you about a character, a man named Maximilian Kolbe. Maximilian Kolbe was a Polish Catholic priest. He was also known as prison number 16670. He received that number when he was put into a concentration camp in Auschwitz. And in the midst of his stay in this concentration camp, uh, they found out that one of the other prisoners had went missing. In fact, they thought he had perhaps, someone had escaped. And in response to this, the commander of the, of the concentration camp decided to set an example of this one prisoner that had evidently escaped. And so he made everybody line up and he said, I'm going to choose 10 of you to be killed right now as a deterrent for anybody that would even try to escape from the concentration camp. A horrendous situation. And in the midst of that, as the commander went along and chose people out of the lineup that would then stand in a lineup to be shot and killed in front of everyone, one man begged for mercy, saying, I've got, I've got family, I've, I have a wife, I have children. And in that moment, Maximilian Kolbe stepped forward out of the line. And the commander said to him, what do you want, you Polish pig? Why did you leave your place? And Maximilian Kolbe said, I want to take the place of one of the men. He has a wife and children. And I am a Catholic priest and I am alone. Take me. And the commander relented And that day, Maximilian Kolbe died as a hero, taking and offering his life for the sake of another. And as I I think about this incredible story, I'm in awe of the, the courage and the boldness and the sacrifice. And it takes us back to our bottom line truth. Through the death of one, We have one. The sacrifice of Maximilian Kolbe was a sacrifice, yes, for one individual and that family, but the 
The sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross is a sacrifice for all people for all time. It was true. The words that Caiaphas uttered, oh, it's better for one man to die than for the whole nation to perish, included you and me. And all people, not people that that have been forced into a concentration camp, uh, unrightly placed there. No, a, a group of people that we are all guilty of sin and in need of God's forgiveness and grace and without a sacrifice to to cover our sins and our mess-ups and our mistakes, we too would have the death penalty, an eternal death penalty. Well, why did this have to happen? Isaiah the prophet, he spoke about Jesus' sacrifice as he was looking ahead and he said, but he was pierced. Why? For our rebellion, Jesus was. He was crushed. Why? For our sins. He was beaten. Why? so that we could be made whole, and he was whipped, so that we could be healed. Because it's through the sacrifice of one that we have won. You know, I'm banking, I'm banking on those, those words, those truths. I'm banking on those things for my life and, and so many of you know, because you ask me every week, I'm begging on those words for my son's life. That by the stripes of Jesus, when he was whipped, that we can be healed. That we can have hope. That we can have life. That we can be set free. And that's only found in the person of Jesus. Through the death of one we have won. Can you say it with me? Through the death of one, we have won. But the, the religious leaders of the day, remember, many people had believed when they saw Jesus do this miracle with Lazarus, but, but the religious leaders themselves, they're like faced with this question, what are we going to do about this? They, they didn't look at Jesus as a Messiah and Savior to embrace and follow. They looked at Jesus as a problem to be dealt with because it threatened their power, and their kingdom. And so they're like, what are we going to do? I mean, he's performed all these miracles. All the people have seen these. They, they couldn't deny what Jesus had done. And so they had to do something about Jesus himself. One pastor uh, kind of answers the question, what are we going to do and what were they going to do? There's really only three options. Uh, we can either reject Jesus try to control Jesus, or we can follow Jesus. Reject Jesus, control Jesus, or follow Jesus. And I think we see uh, these choices being lived out in the passage of truth that we're looking at today. And honestly, we see these three choices still being extended to you and I today and people responding as they will. Think about it. Reject Jesus. That's one way that people can respond to who Jesus is and what he's done. And and God God doesn't force himself upon anybody. He gives us the choice. And, And Caiaphas, he had that choice. I mean, he was in a position of great power. He could have done anything in that moment. And yet, what does he say? say? Well, it's better for him to die. And then we won't have to worry about the Roman government. He rejects Jesus. 
And probably there's, maybe there's some of you even in this room, like, you're like, you're not so sure about Jesus. Maybe you haven't outright said, oh, I reject Jesus, but you haven't believed in him yet. And really, to, to not make a decision about Jesus is to reject him. I mean, who Jesus is and what he did, it, it's, it's something that demands some sort of, of response. And just like God wouldn't, wouldn't force Caiaphas to, to accept Jesus and to believe in him and to follow him, he, he won't do that with us either. And yet we can't, we can't somehow say, well, I just reject Jesus because Jesus doesn't really care about me. God doesn't really love me. No, what Jesus would go on to do at the cross, it, I mean, it proves his love and care for all of humanity. The shortest verse, uh, the most profound verse in all the Gospel of John, God so loved the world, right, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But it's for whoever will believe in him, whoever, which means there's a choice, there's a response. And, but we can't say, I reject Jesus because God doesn't really care about me. He's already shown us that through his work on the cross. Well, the second option uh, is probably more likely for many of us in the room, even those of us that have given our life to Jesus. I don't know about you, but I still find myself trying to take the wheel of my life again, you know? And, and we, we sometimes seek to control Jesus, and that's what happened with the religious leaders of the day, Right? Uh, Matt Carter and Josh Redberg say this, the religious leader's concern was maintaining control. Their concern wasn't whether Jesus was right or good, but how his actions would affect them. Their concern was not about the people, but about themselves. He says, we see in them a clear and striking picture of self-centeredness. Many of us in the room, we'd say, well, I, I would never reject Jesus. I, I believe in Jesus, and yet it's so easy to slip into a, a life way of just using Jesus, trying to control Jesus for our purposes instead of giving Jesus complete control over our lives. Because the life of following Jesus is a life of, of surrender, so if you're with me, I wrestled with this question this week. Like, well, how do I know? How do I know if I'm trying to control Jesus? Not that I haven't believed in him, but am I letting him be in charge or am I trying to take charge? So I thought about some symptoms that could show up in my life, perhaps even in your life, and I just want us to be a little self-introspective for a few moments. You know, when I try to use Jesus just to get what I want, that could be a sign that I'm trying to control Jesus. You know, when, 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 you know, when we're in a bad spot and we throw up those Hail Mary prayers, like, oh God, you got to help me now. But those only come so often. And the rest of the time when life is going good, we forget to thank him and praise him. And we're not turning to him on a regular basis for our life, for all of our life, with the big decisions, and, or, or only with the big, big decisions, and not with the day-to-day -day that Jesus, he wants to be engaged and involved, and he wants to lead us, and he wants us to follow him. Remember last weekend, we learned that we're, we're safe and secure when we follow the good shepherd. But when we're just trying to control Jesus, we, we're just trying to use him 
to our end to get what we want. I, I always say, you know, we all want a little Jesus in our pocket, don't we? <laughs> so we can pull him out whenever we really need him, but then, you know, the rest of the time, just tuck him away. And it could be a sign that we're trying to control Jesus. Or what about when we get angry with him when we go through hard times? This is, I'm not talking about an anger like a natural response. I mean, with what we've gone through, Carter, there have been moments where, yeah, I've been angry at God. But the question is, when we, when we feel that anger and when things aren't going our way, do we try to control God and do we hold him to a standard that we don't even hold ourselves to and, and we blame him for everything? Or do we come to a place, even in our anguish and anger, where we surrender? Say, Jesus, you are in control and I am obviously not. And so whatever your will is, I surrender. But it's when we try to put our own expectations on Jesus that we're trying to control him or control the outcome. And there's one more sign that I think sometimes it could show that we're trying to control Jesus. It's, it's when I pick and choose when and if I'll care and help about others. You know, the heartbeat of Jesus was loving others, was caring for our neighbors, was encouraging our brothers and sisters, it's being there for and serving others. But if I'm trying to control Jesus, it means like when, when I sense there's a need and opportunity, deep down I'm thinking, well, wait a second, I don't know if that will work with my timeline, or I don't know if that's going to be real convenient for me. I, I'm good with serving Jesus and following Jesus you know, as long as it works out with my schedule. And yet the life of a Christ follower is a life of sacrifice and surrender. It's what Jesus did. He sacrificed it all. He surrendered. He gave it all. It wasn't, the cross was not convenient for our Savior. But he was willing. Because he wasn't trying to control God's plan. He was surrendered to God's plan. So there's a few ways that we can respond to Jesus. We can, we can just push him off and reject him like Caiaphas did. We can try to control him like the religious leaders did. Or we can follow him. We can follow Jesus. We can embrace him for who he is and all that he's done. And in the passage, many, many that saw the miracles, they did believe. And they began to follow Jesus. And it's only for those that step forward in faith to follow Jesus that our bottom line really becomes true, that through the death of one, we have won. If we want to experience real hope and real victory in this life, it means relying on the one that gave his life. It means surrendering to the one that surrendered for us. And maybe you're here this weekend and you, you, know, you consider yourself a good person or you're very religious or you, you, know, you attend church or you, you've based your relationship with God off of 
you know, good deeds, like maybe the good will outweigh the bad in my life. I'm trying to make up for a lot of bad choices I made when I was young. Or, or truth be told, um, a lot of us in the room, we're trying to, still trying to make up for a lot of bad choices we've made while we're adults. But, but that's not how God's plan of salvation works. It's a, it's a free gift. We're never going to be able to pay God back. We're never going to be able to make up for all of our mistakes. That's, that is why Jesus came. To make a payment that we could never pay. To be a sacrifice that we could never be. So that through the death of one, we have won. And so this morning... We want to celebrate that victory through the act of communion. When you came in, hopefully you received a... Oh, thank you, Brandy. When you, when you came in, hopefully you received a communion element. And if you just peel back the thin, clear layer, and if you didn't get communion, just raise a hand and you'd, if you'd like to participate with us. This is just an act of remembrance. It's celebrating the victory that Jesus won on our behalf on the cross. And you just peel back that first thin layer and you come to this little wafer. The Bible says that when Jesus gathered with his disciples, before he would go give his life away on the cross, he took bread, a tangible object, and he gave it new meaning. And he said, this bread represents my body that will be given for you. Like Jesus was saying, through the death of one, you will win. Jesus gave the bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, do this and don't forget me. Let's remember him together. And then if you peel back the thicker foil layer, you come to the juice. God's word records it after Jesus shared the bread with his disciples and ate a meal, that he passed a cup amongst the disciples and he gave the cup new meaning. He said, this, this cup represents my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Only Jesus could win that battle for you and for me. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for your incredible sacrifice. We thank you for others that have followed living that kind of sacrificial life like Maximilian Kolbe. Thank you, Jesus, for willingly giving your life away so that through the death of one, we have won. Would you help us to live in victory this week? And for anyone here that's never turned to you in faith, maybe, maybe tried to just push you away and reject you, or maybe, maybe some here that realize even this morning we've, been, we've just been trying to control you. Lord, help us to relinquish control, to find in a life of surrender the real victory that we all long for. It's in Christ's name that we pray together. Amen. Have a great rest of your weekend.